And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello? Good morning. My name is Rene Tremera. Um, I just started here at this church. Uh, the pastor gave me a word, and I'm going to read it in Spanish. It says, Dios, Dios mío, eres tú de madrugada, te buscaré. Mi alma tiene sed de ti, mi carne te anhela en la tierra. Será arrida donde no hay aguas, para que tu poder y tu gloria haz como te he mirado en I'm sorry. Como de mirado de grosura será hacer mi alma. Con labios de júbilo te alabaré mi boca. Cuando me acuerde de ti en mi lecho. Cuando medite en ti en las vigilias de noche. Porque ha sido socorro y es así. En sombra de mis alas regocijaré. Está mi alma pegada de ti. Tu diestra me, me ha sostenido. So when he gave me this word, I woke up this morning at four o'clock just to meditate on his word. And there's a lot of things going on in this world right now, right? That we're all going through it. So I'm just going to say a quick prayer in Spanish. Padre Santo y Padre Bueno. Estoy aquí ante tu presencia pidiéndote perdón si te he ofendido en este día, Padre mío. Te doy gracias por este día, Padre amado. Te doy gracias por tu palabra, Padre. Yo te pido que seas tú siendo toda la honra y toda la gloria aquí en tu casa, Padre. Yo bendigo a cada persona que ha entrado a tu casa y los que están viendo por la internet, Padre mío. Yo te doy gracias por cada persona, Señor. Yo te pido que seas tú siendo el socorro y dándole todo lo que ellos necesitan en este día y todos los días de nuestra vida, Padre, porque tú eres el que está en control de nuestra vida, Padre. Yo te doy gracias desde este momento, creyendo que está hecho en el nombre de Cristo Jesús, que es sobre todo nombre. Amén. Oh, you're good. All right, grab your Bibles, give me a second, Peter, chapter 3, 10 through 13. Thank you, Renee. You did a great job. <laughs> How y'all doing? Woo, it's warm, right? Okay, so we'll get going. We'll get going so we can get done on time and we can go outside where it's cooler. <laughs> yeah, it's warm, and, and the fan blows your pages around. When you're trying to read the Bible, right? It's funny. You did, you did great. You did great. Thank you for leading us and reading for us in Spanish. So um, as I was working on this week, we've got two more weeks left. Uh, this week, uh, Peter finishes up the thread that we started two weeks ago. You know, I was gone last week, so we had a week where Daniel spoke and taught. And uh, so now we're back in Second Peter 3. 10 through 13, where we're going to pick up the thread that he started and that we started on uh, just a few weeks ago. So if you'll read with me 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, it says this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. 
The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Heavenly Father, Lord, open this word to us today uh, and, and change our, our hearts, our attitudes, and our minds, uh, and bring us in line with your will and your direction. Uh, make us obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of things. First thing is, I got a giant parallel Bible here I'm going to open up. Um, one of the things that we talked about a couple weeks ago, Second Peter uh, 3, 4, and 5, it says this, They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long, long ago. So the question was, where is the promise of His coming? And the answer is here. But it may not be the answer we want. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief. That's kind of the first thing I want to mention. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago. Talk about it again briefly today. We don't know. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's coming. Jesus Christ will return. It's a promise. It's a central tenet of Orthodox Christianity. Uh, in fact, uh, you've probably heard uh, Christ uh, has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again, right? I couldn't hear you. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will. There we go. Come again. Yes. Uh, it's a central part and tenet of Orthodox Christian theology that Christ is coming again. And I love that this passage, um, we, we thought he already talked about it enough, but the, but the author of Second Peter wants to mention it again. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons we're going to get to a little bit later in, in the passage here. But, but note, we don't know. We don't know when Christ is going to return. It will come like a thief. Has anybody ever been uh, robbed? Anybody, you've, ever, you've, been, you've been burglarized. Did you know the thief was coming? <laughs> Obviously not, right? Because if you knew, you would have been prepared and you would have taken steps and measures so that you wouldn't have been robbed. Uh, we have been, uh, not from the house, but, but like personally, things taken from us when we weren't looking, uh, when we lived overseas. It's happened to us a couple times. Um, we don't know when Christ is going to return. It's going to come like that thief that you're not expecting. Uh, he's going to come at a moment that he has chosen. Now, where I really want us to hone in this morning is, <clears throat> is on this second point in answering the question, what kind of people or what sort of people should we be? What sort of people ought you be? And that's where I want to bring in this second Another, it's a, uh, got a couple translations, it's got Amplified, it's got New International, but I want to read this. It says, because it, it breaks the sentence, you know, different translations, they break the sentences up differently. So listen to what this says. It says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Question mark. It breaks this into a sentence. The answer is, you ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to live holy holy and godly lives. So let's take a look at these two words briefly. Holy means dedicated to God or set apart for God. Uh, it, uh, it, depending on what faith tradition you grew up in or what church you might have grown up in, holy might have seemed like a, a mysterious thing, um, 
It may have had some mystical kinds of qualities to it, but depending uh, on, on your background, you, you may have some, some, some ideas or thoughts about what holiness is that might be different from what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here in being holy, when he says, what kind of people should we be? We should be holy people. Does that mean we should be mysterious and odd? I mean, Christians are mysterious, right? We're, we're, we can be a little strange, but that's not what he's talking about. He, what what he what he's wants us to hone in on here is he wants us to be dedicated to God. He wants us to be focused on living for God, to be set apart for him. When... Um, we, ha- we talk about that idea of being set apart uh, from a spiritual perspective, from a, a biblical perspective. Think about taking something and making it special. Uh, does anybody have anything in your home that you have set apart? You, you, something that's special. Where do you keep your special things? Where do you keep them? In a safe. Okay. Where do you keep your special things, Lid? On a shelf, right? Where at? In the... In the front where everybody can see them. In our house, some of our, most of our special things are like things that we brought back with us when we lived overseas, like Polish pottery. If you go into my office, you can see I have a whole shelf of what I would consider special things along the back. Uh, most of them belong to Lydia. They are nativity scenes that we've gathered from all across the world. Uh, and anybody else you like to, to collect nativity scenes? I, I love that. It's one of the things we love to collect. But we take things that are special to us and we set them apart. Uh, We may give them a special place, a special position. We may hide them. (laughs) Scripture says hide God's word in your heart. So I don't think there's anything wrong with setting something apart and hiding it. Uh, There's also something about being set apart that that is to be shown. Uh, You take whatever you have in your safe out for special purposes or special uses. So when you think about being holy, that means that you have been set apart for God, for God's purposes, for God's uses. Uh, God is putting you up on a, on a shelf. <laughs> he's putting you out in front of the world, and he's saying, this is my special loved person. This is my, my image bearer who I've created to do something special. I've set them apart in me to be something, and, I, and that is called holy, set apart. So when we are holy and we're set apart, he carries this other idea with it that he says we ought to be holy and we ought to be godly. Now, godly means conforming to or living under God's laws, rules, regulations, standards, character, whatever you want to, however you want to call that. Um, But it's this idea of conforming to and being conformed by God. So he takes his special set-aside image bearers who he's created in his image and he has saved through the power of Jesus Christ and he he commissions them to do something you're set apart for something you're holy for something you're not just holy to be you know and that's where the metaphor kind of falls apart we put special things on the shelf um, in our house like I said it's Polish pottery plates and cups and bowls what do you do with them typically put food in them, put coffee in them, eat from them. Our special things we don't use. <laughs> so that's where this, this metaphor disconnects uh, from that idea. Because God's holy and set-apart people are set-apart for something. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We have uh, 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 something that we're set-apart for, and that is to be godly. It's to, to if you will, reflect 
the image of God. Because we're created in His image and He saves us in the power of Christ, we now reflect God's glory to the world. The author of 2 Peter is reiterating to us here and reminding us of something he set forth in his first letter. If you just turn back a couple pages to 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, it says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, be set apart in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy, for I am holy. Now, when we think about the beginning of this passage, as obedient children, you must not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, You must not be conformed to the passions of the flesh. That's one of the ways uh, that, that Scripture talks about people who are in Christ and people who are not in Christ. People who are in Christ are living in the Spirit. People who are not in Christ or not in Christ yet are in the flesh. So he's making a a distinction here that the passions he's referring to are passions of our former self, our former ignorance, our our pre-saved, pre-salvation person. Now, I think a lot of times we read the word passions and we instantly think he must be talking about sexual passions, uh, lust, um, and other kinds of passion. Let's take a look at the definition of passion because it's much broader than a sexual connotation. Take a look at it. It says, a passion is a strong and barely controllable emotion. You may have a, does anybody have a passion for something, not just a spouse or, or a loved one, but you have a passion for a, a hobby or, or a sport. Anybody have a passion for something? Okay, what is your passion for? Body work on cars. You know, it's hard to hear with the fans and the mask. It's like a double, double whammy. Anybody else? What are you passionate about? Cooking. I'm passionate about eating <laughs> and cooking. I like both of those things. Hannah, come on. You gotta, you're passionate about sports, right? Aren't you? Which ones? Basketball. Okay. We have things that we're passionate about. Um, in, in, in this passage, when he talks about the passion of the former self or the passions of our former ignorance, he could be referring to lust or some misplaced sexual passion, but there are other passions with which we are saddled with that we suffer. Paul talks about these in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, where he says, now the works of the flesh, remember we talked about that a minute ago, that's the old self Uh, that is steeped in sin, that responds from a worldly perspective. The old self, the works of the flesh, are evident in this. Here's what they are. There's a list. There's probably more, but here's what Paul says. Sexual, Sexual immorality. He puts it at the top. That's the one we all think of. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, some of us struggle with that one. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, the, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a lot of passions in there. Rage, anger, jealousy. Uh, and and if, you, if you go back to the passage that we're discussing, he says... That because of these passions in in 1 Peter, the God has called us away from those things to be holy. So part of becoming holy 
is allowing God to channel our passions appropriately. And for some of those passions to wipe them out. If you have the passion of fits of rage, God will quell that as he conforms you to the image of Christ. Anybody ever been really angry in your past? Have you seen God polish that off, sand that away, chip and chisel that away? He will. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whichever fits of passion, whichever works of the flesh that still haunt you, that keep you from becoming the holy, set-apart, uh, godly creation that God wants you to be, God will, He can, and He will take those away from you. Now I want to hit a quick note here, because there's something really, really interesting in what we just read uh, in Second Peter. I'm going to read 11 and 12 again. It says, since these things are dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? We talked about that, lives of holiness and godliness. But listen to what he says. We are also waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How can we, have you ever thought about that? How can we hasten? What, what the author of Second Peter here has written when he said, what sort of people ought we be? We ought to be people who are holy who are godly, and who are, in his words, hastening the coming of the day of God. We're waiting for it, and we're hastening it. Now, when you read that, do you go, what? How can we hasten? How can we speed up the coming of Jesus Christ? Paul talks about this. Um, Jesus talks about this. It's several places in Scripture, and I was studying through this, and it's really, it's fascinating because I think sometimes we read through it and we gloss, we just kind of, we kind of gloss over it. But, but the first way we can hasten the return of Christ, according to Jesus Christ, is by prayer. Uh, in Matthew 6, the apostles came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. And we probably all know this prayer. Whatever faith tradition you grew up in, even if you grew up in no faith tradition, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Remember, that was the answer to the question, how should we pray, Jesus? Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, glory to your name, bring your kingdom. That's literally what, the very first thing he said is give God glory for who he is. And the second thing he said to do is pray for the coming of the kingdom of God. So it's something that we're supposed to be praying about. So I'm going to ask you the question, how often do you pray for the return of Christ? Maybe we, the older you get, the more you pray about it. <laughs> it's like, could it get any worse, Jesus? Please come back. I have to admit, uh, you know, when I was younger, it was like I wasn't that interested. It was like, oh, no, I got, I got some stuff to do left. I, I want to live somewhere. I want to get married. I want to, you know, and then you get older and you're like, yeah, Jesus, please come back. Save us from this mess we're in. Because when we look at this mess, sometimes we're like, how could, how could any of this ever be fixed? But it doesn't matter, according to what Jesus said, that we pray that whether it's our desire or not our desire. He says it's something we should do. Whether you're young or you're old. 
whether you want it or you don't want it, he says to pray for the return of Christ, that Christ, that God's kingdom will come and that it will come on earth as it is in heaven, right? How often do you pray about the, the return of Christ? Anybody? Okay, so I got one person raise their hand and say, that's something I pray about. Um, according to what Jesus said uh, in his, his pattern of prayer from the Lord's prayer, we all should be raising our hands because that's something he said, pray about. Pray about these things. So first way we can hasten it is by praying. The second way, again in the words of Jesus, Matthew 24, 14, he says this, and this, I love this verse, and this is the gospel of the kingdom. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole earth as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. I love that verse. It's so interesting. It seems to indicate that after the gospel has been proclaimed to all nations, then the end will come. So what's another way we can hasten the coming of Christ? It appears as if Jesus is saying, he will come after all I've heard, which means we have to do what? We have to evangelize. We have to be active in evangelism. We have to be active in sharing our faith. We are hastening the coming of Christ when we're obedient to his command in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where he says, go therefore and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything uh, to obey everything I've commanded. When we're obedient to pray, as Jesus said, and when we're obedient to share the gospel in a coherent way that people have an opportunity to respond and that the gospel is heard, that that hastens the coming of Christ. So, now you know how to hasten the coming of Christ. So when you read that next time, you'll be like, okay. Because the first, at first reading, you, I, 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 if you're like me, you read it and you went, how is that possible? How could we move the coming of Christ any sooner than it could be? But it appears to me that if we pray and if we evangelize, that that, uh, at least in some part, plays a part in the return of Christ. All right. Uh, now, in the end of this verse, verse 13, he says, According to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Um, and I wanted to read some descriptions. Because if we're going to be praying about the return, we're going to be praying about it, we're going to be asking the Lord about it, we ought to know what we're asking for. Isaiah 65, in verse 17, it says this. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall it be heard in the streets. I'm sorry, no more shall it be heard in it the sound of weeping, and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. All my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hand. 
They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. We have some promises in Scripture of what the new uh, heavens and the new earth are going to look like. Another one of those we can find at the very end of God's Word in Revelation 21 and 22. And I just want to read just a couple choice passages. 21, 1 and 2 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and it was no more. The sea was no more, it says. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a a bride, adorned for her husband. And then in chapter 22, starting in verse 1, it says, The angel of the Lord then showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. When he says to hasten, to wait and hasten the Lord's coming, this is what we're waiting for. Uh, I don't know about you, but some of those things sound really, really good. And why wouldn't they be? No more sounds of weeping. No more cry of distress. No more people living shortened uh, lives. No more work for which you don't receive something. (laughs) And then in Revelation... Um, nothing accursed. Uh, we will see and be in the presence of the Father. There will be no more night. The light of God will light the world and the heavens and the earth like a lamp, His glory just shining. And there's a lot more. Read the rest of uh, Revelation 21 and 22. It talks a great deal about what that's going to be like. Um, we don't spend a lot of time talking about Revelation. We don't spend a lot of time uh, going through it. Uh, and we don't actually spend a whole lot of time talking about what that's going to look like. And maybe a little bit, um, the author of Second Peter is pointing out to us, we need to think about that some. What's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? Because if, if we're praying for it, we should know what we're praying for. Right? We should pray about what he's told us to pray for, and we should have uh, knowledge and understanding about what exactly it is that we're asking for. And so why wouldn't we want to pray for the kingdom of God to come? I think, for me, one of the things that scares me, I guess if you will, about the coming of Christ is that there are a lot of people that don't know Christ. And I think... If you take these things together, one of the things you can come away with is an increased, maybe burden would be a good word, for the importance of evangelism, the importance of sharing the gospel, the importance of opening your mouth and telling somebody who Jesus Christ is, how they can be saved. Those are important things to be telling people. It's important. 
It hastens the coming of Christ, but it also pleases him when people come to faith in him, and that means less people lost when the kingdom comes like a thief in the night. So in summing up, there's a couple of, there's, there's four things I just want to just sum them up real fast, but I think if you take and you step back from this passage a little bit and you kind of think about what is it talking about, this is what I want you to take away today. I think what the author of Second Peter here wants us to think about is what is our focus on? Because he's talking about things that we are, we are focused on. Uh, what are you guys focused on? We focus on all kinds of stuff. Baseball's back. Anybody focused on baseball? It's kind of weird watching a stadium full of people playing baseball with crowd sounds, but there's no people. It's weird. Anybody watched a game on TV? It's odd. Um, so we got a lot of no's, not interested in sports, but, but, but people are focused on different things, right? We focus on, on whatever. It could be career, it could be family, it could be finding love, keeping love, uh, whatever. What are the things we need to focus on? There's four points of focus. The first one is to prepare. The thief is coming. Well, Jesus is coming, but it's like a thief. It's not a thief. <laughs> Rephrase that. He's going to come. We don't know when, like a thief in the night, the return of Christ will come. So we need to be focused in on thinking about that and preparing for that. What do we need to do in our own life? What do we need to write? What wrongs do we need to correct? What relationships do we need to repair or mend? Who do we need to go and share the gospel with? In the meantime, he says, purpose to live holy and godly lives. Holy because God is holy. So our focus should be on the coming of the Lord. Our focus should be on living holy and godly lives. Whatever we need to do to, to achieve that and to get in line with that. Um, God wants to do a transformation in us. And he will. But we like to battle him on it. I, I love, um, I'm going to read, it wasn't part of the message, but I'm going to flip over to Romans real quick. Because it always reminds me of my part in this. He says, I appeal to you, this chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're living sacrifices. We offer ourselves. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? We offer ourselves to God. Um, back in the day, when they, when they sacrificed something uh, Old Testament style, what did they do? Anybody? They killed it. And then often they would burn it. Well, that offering is not going to get up. That sacrifice is not going to get back up off the altar. We're a living sacrifice. What do we do? <laughs> we wrestle sometimes with God. We offer ourselves to him, and then we're like Adam and Eve. I think maybe I could handle this on my own, God. <laughs> I don't really need you. I, I got this one. I got this one handled. I almost made like a here, hold my, <laughs> here, hold my drink. I got this one, right? No. That's what we do. We're living sacrifices, and we, we wrestle it back from God. And, and I think we have to, to purpose to repeatedly say to the Father, I belong to you. I am yours. I am set apart for your purposes. Use me as you see fit. Change me, mold me, shape me, conform me to the image of Christ. Because we want to wrestle that back from him. 
And so our focus needs to be on, on repeatedly going before the Father and just offering ourselves to Him. Anybody, you do that on a daily basis? Yeah, good. Hourly basis? Yeah, good. <laughs> because that's what living sacrifices do. They wrestle. So we need to offer ourselves. We need to have our focus in our minds of offering ourselves again and again to God. Uh, another focus is returning, uh, hastening the return of Christ. Now, that may be maybe the reason it says in Scripture, you know, there's, there's these couple of things you do. I hope that we do these things not because we're interested in hastening the return of Christ, but we're doing them out of just pure obedience. Not because we can get something or hope for something or maybe have something, but Jesus said, pray for the kingdom to come and share the gospel so that the kingdom will come. And then those are the things we should be about. Why? We, we can't know when the kingdom's going to come. We don't know how much our sharing and praying hastens, and that's not up to us, and it doesn't matter anyway. We do it out of obedience. So our focus becomes on obeying. So ask yourself that. What am I focused on today? Am I focused on the things of God, or am I focused on myself? And the last thing he says here is focus on looking forward to that new heaven and that new earth the home of righteousness. Uh, for me, that says, don't let your focus become on what you have here. You know, we're doing some renovations. A lot of people are doing some renovations in their house. Anybody else? You're painting, or, yeah, so Mendax. Anybody else? You're doing a little work in the house? A lot of people, we've done a lot of work in the church. We've done some work in the house. It's easy when you fix something. We, we renovated. We did some paint and some stuff uh, in the middle floor bathroom, which is in terrible shape, and now we walk in, and it's like so pretty. It's really easy to kind of get, oh, wow, you know, we, we did. <laughs> and that's just a, a, a small example, right, of the things we get fixated on and focused on in this world. Look what I did. Look what I can do. Look what I've achieved. Ooh, right? We focus on something else. The, the whole idea where he says waiting and hastening the return of Christ uh, is not that we get there. It's not the destination. We know what the destination is, and we know if we're saved, we'll get there. Jesus Christ, God, Holy Spirit, more interested in the now than the later. And so I think that's the last point of focus in this passage is what are we focusing on now? Is it making our house better? Is it earning more money? Is it getting a better job? Are any of those things bad? Not necessarily. We need money to eat. Uh, we need a house to live in. Uh, you may want to get a better job so you have more options for your kids for college, whatever. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that we do that have good reasons and good purposes. God's blessed us with them, and he doesn't withhold them from us. It's all a matter, again, of focus. If we focus on those things and they become to the point where, where that's all we think about and that's all we do and that's, that's, that's all we can, we, can, we can think about, we go to sleep thinking about it, we wake up thinking about it, we spend our day thinking about it, then our focus has shifted from the things of God to the things that we have our hands on. 
So when you read this again, hint, hint, this week, you study it, you pray over it, you ask God to change and transform your mind and your heart and your thinking and your obedience, think about your focus. That's really where I want to leave us today. When you walk out of here today and you're walking through the week, just let that word resonate in your head. Let that question, what am I focused on? Maybe we need to add that to your repertoire of, of, of getting back to God and saying, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm sacrificing myself on the altar again. Here's the living sacrifice again. God, what am I focused on? What am I thinking about? What, what's consuming my thoughts and my time? And allow Him to shift our thinking from the things of this earth, which are fleeting, they're grass that grows today and is gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, right? That's what Scripture says. Or are we focused on the things of God that are eternal, that are long-lasting, and in the lives of people that don't yet know Christ as Lord and Savior? It's to them life and death. And we hold that in our hands. And we've been commanded to take it to them. Now, I don't want to get, to, I want to get up there and I want to hear, good, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I hope we all hear that. What I don't want to hear is, why did you waste your time on X? Why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? Anybody, you want to, you want to I, I don't want to get up there and it's like, a, a, you know, I'm, you did okay. You made it. You remember we read the scripture a couple weeks ago um, where it talks, Paul talks about you made it into heaven, but it was like one escaping through the flames. You just barely made it. You got there, but you smelled like, you know, a little smoke. I do not want that entry. I don't want that entry for any of you. And you don't want that for anybody else. So I think the focus, as strange as it seems, I really think that one of the main focuses I took away from this short passage of Second Peter was an increased burden for sharing, for sharing my faith. And so let that resonate with you this week. Think about that. Begin to ask the Father. As I refocus and retask my brain to be about the things of God, who should I be sharing my faith with? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to... Evangelize sounds like such a... It's like proselytize. It's like one of those words that sounds scary and industrial, organizational, corporate. It's not complicated. Who do you need to tell about Jesus Christ? Just tell your story. Hey, here's who I was. Some of us were terrible folks before we knew Jesus Christ. It's real easy. Go back and start. Some of us were young, and we don't have that story. Lydia has a different story than I have. Uh, Renee has a different story than you have. We all have different stories. Some of us have background. We're like, hey, I was like this, and here's all the things Christ did with, with me. Some of us were saved from a lot of that because we were saved very young, but we still have a story to tell about the faithfulness of God throughout our lives. Just ask the, ask the Father this week. Say, Lord, who do I need to share my story with? And then be aware. Be uh, in the moment. <laughs> Look for the opportunities that the Lord brings to you to share a word of love and hope that, that new believers will come into the kingdom. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. 
Lord, thank you for speaking to us today through it. Lord, we thank you for those who uh, took part in the worship today, the worship team, uh, those who took part from a distance. Uh, Dick, we appreciate you. Renee, thank you. Daniel, thank you. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for, for all of the, the, the moving pieces and parts that you put together in this body, uh, whether they can gather here in this building or whether they gather together with us online. Lord, I know that there's a lot of folks out there that are with us in spirit, and so Lord, we thank you for them. Uh, we thank you for growing us together as a body of Christ uh, and allowing us to uh, be planted in Elmwood Park with a purpose. And so, Lord, we pray that you will remind us again uh, day after day, moment after moment in this week to come about what our focus should be. Lord, help us to focus on the things of God. And, and I pray for opportunities for each of us, all of us here, all of us online, uh, everyone who uh, is part of our, our body of Christ here at Elmwood Park Community Church. Lord, uh, help us to be aware of the opportunities this week you give us to speak hope and love into the lives of people who are lost and dying. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.